You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Can I ask you a question that probably I know the answer to, but I wonder, has anyone ever played the game Scrabble? Probably, probably most people are familiar with that game. What is it really matters in the game of Scrabble? You've got those seven randomly selected letters. You've got to make the longest word possible, get the most points possible, and you've got to win, isn't that right? I know in our house we've, it gets very competitive, especially over the holidays. Our youngest boy is so competitive and he literally is unbeatable. No one has ever beaten him at Scrabble. Somehow he comes up with these huge words. Don't know where from. But in Scrabble, what is it that really matters? Well, what really matters is that the words are actually words. Have you come across this problem as well? My father-in-law, Jill's dad, has a real tendency to make up his own words and then claim that they're actually real words. And of course, nowadays, you've got your phone, you've got Google, you've got the online Scrabble dictionary. You can find out immediately if he's telling the truth or not. You can uncover cheating very, very quickly. But Scrabble is just a game. You can take it or leave it. In Scrabble, there are no serious lasting consequences if you don't play by the rules. If you make up words, it doesn't really matter that much, does it? But life is not just a game. What is it that really matters the most in life? Many people would answer that question, maybe with stuff like family, friends, health, school, academic achievement, career, and the list could go on and on and on. And all of that stuff, it's really important. Of course it is. Those things, of course they matter. But I believe what really matters in life more than anything else is the truth about who we really are and the truth about what God has done for us. I think that's what really matters. And unlike in the game of Scrabble, in life, there are actually consequences for you and I if we don't find out what these truths are and if we don't respond to them. And I think here in Ephesians 2, these 10 verses, I think here we see what really matters. Paul is writing to, to the churches in and around Ephesus And he's writing to remind them about what really matters, about these truths. Now, this place was a a challenging place for the gospel. Around Ephesus, there was a lot of magic going on. There was a lot of occult practices. There were a lot of false teachers. There was all sorts of stuff like that. And if you flick back in your Bibles, if you have a Bible in front of you, in chapter 1, you'll see there at the start of chapter 1, Paul wants to remind the believers of the spiritual blessings that are theirs in Christ. They are chosen. They are redeemed. They are secure. Wonderful promises, wonderful truths. But then from verse 15 in chapter 1, he prays for these people that they would know Jesus better, that they would know the hope that they have, that they would know the power that they have access to. And as we pick it up today, chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to see what God's power has made possible. We're going to look at the truth about who we are and the truth about what God has done for us. 
this is what really matters. And we're going to look at it on a sort of a medical theme. I hope there aren't doctors and nurses in here because um, I could go very wrong here. But on a medical theme, just two really simple headings. Firstly, we're going to think about the diagnosis. So that's the truth about who we are. And then we're going to think about the treatment. And that essentially is the truth about what God has done for us. But let's firstly think about the diagnosis. And this is really verse 1 to verse 3. Now, I'm sure pretty much everybody in this building today at some point has gone to the GP searching for some sort of diagnosis. We want to know what's wrong with us. We've all been there, haven't we? And maybe sometimes it's a slow process. It's frustrating. But we want to know what the problem is. And what the, the GP will do is assess our signs and symptoms. He'll identify the problem. He'll give us that diagnosis. Now, we need to know what's wrong, don't we, before we can get the right help. I think these three verses, the start of chapter 2, present us with a diagnosis. Let's just read them again. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 1. And this really matters. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit is not working those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, when I look at that, there's one word that jumps out of the page at me. And that one word, maybe it's the same for you, that one word is dead. A diagnosis doesn't get much worse, does it? Can you imagine going in to see your GP and he sits you down and he says, I'm very sorry, Mr. Graham, we've looked at your signs and symptoms and we've got to the root of it all and you're dead. Paul writes to these believers around Ephesus and in verse 1 he says, essentially, you were dead. In verse 3, all of us, in effect, were also dead. What's this got to do with you and I? Well, applying this to us today, this text tells us that by nature, you and I also were dead. Now, what on earth does that mean? What is that? What's that all about? You were dead? What does he mean by this? Because clearly, the people he's writing to originally here in Ephesus and around that area, clearly they were physically alive, right? Right? Today in this building, you and I are all physically alive, aren't we? We're moving, we're breathing. I really hope you're all still awake at this point, early on. We are all physically alive. In the world, out there in Macrofelt, there are people driving their cars, moving about, going shopping and things like that during the week. People out there are physically alive. So this diagnosis, what's it all about? Dead? This diagnosis... Is to do with the spiritual condition of people's hearts. By nature, Paul is saying that you and I were spiritually dead. Now, why is that the case? Well, look again at those three verses. You, you, you see there, Paul mentions transgressions and sins, the ways of the world, disobedience, the sinful nature. The big problem that gives us this diagnosis of being dead is sin. And we thought about it really simply with the boys and girls a short time ago. 
You know, sin is very simply rebellion against God's. Sin is that sort of shaking your fist at God, saying, God, I don't want you. I'm going to do it my way. The old Sinatra song always comes to my mind when I think about that. My way, my life. You know, sin, Genesis 3, the fall, Adam and Eve, the consequences for everyone everywhere since then separates us from God, leads us to live life on our own terms, to follow the ways of the world. And you and I, even though we mightn't want to admit it, we know, don't we, that this is true. If we're being really honest, don't we see the outworking of sin in our lives and in the world out there every single day? It's a broken down world. We see it in our relationships, in our attitudes. We see it in the media, at home, in schools, in universities, in workplaces, in farmers' markets, wherever we find ourselves, we see the outworking of sin. We see the evidence of sin. And because of sin, according to verse 3 here, you and I were spiritually dead by nature and were objects of wrath. Now, that basically means we deserve God's judgment. We deserve punishment. We deserve condemnation. That's the biblical diagnosis of us. I believe that's what Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 is telling us. This is where we're at by nature. This is our spiritual condition. These are our hearts. You might be sitting there thinking, that's pretty bad. That's bad enough. That's the diagnosis. But what about the prognosis, another medical term? You know, where does this diagnosis lead to? Well, elsewhere in Romans 6.23 and lots of other places, Paul talks about that. He says the wages of sin is death. It's all pretty bad so far today, isn't it? The diagnosis is bad. The prognosis is bad. For spiritually dead people like you and I, unless something changes, the future outlook couldn't be any bleaker, couldn't be any darker. And this really matters, doesn't it? Because this is the truth about all of us by nature. Now, if I stop now, can you imagine if I just packed up my Bible, went to the car, went home, and left you right here? Can you imagine if Ephesians stopped at verse 3? Look at it, imagine. Thankfully, it doesn't. Because that's only part of the story. If it stopped there, you and I would be thoroughly depressed. We would have no hope at all. But the story doesn't stop in verse 3. And that's why I love this passage. Because with this diagnosis in our minds, we've got to turn our hearts, our minds, our thoughts to the treatment. And that's too weak a word even to summarize all of this. Where do we go from this diagnosis? What hope is there for us? Is there any medicine? Is there a remedy for this sin thing, this death thing? Well, thankfully, there is. And that's where we get to the treatment or the truth about what God has done for us. A few years ago, I came across a story and a commentary by Kent Hughes, a wonderful commentator in the Bible. But he shared the story of a late British philosopher called Jeremy Bentham, not exactly a household name, is he? I'm sure probably most of us haven't heard that name before. But it's a really bizarre, strange story. Apparently, when Jeremy Bentham died in 1882, he gave instructions that his entire estate 
should be left to the university college hospital in London. But there was one ridiculously bizarre condition attached to his wishes. He wanted his body to be preserved and for him to be present at the annual board meeting of the hospital. Isn't that absolutely ridiculous? And believe it or not, you can look this up later, it's true. Apparently every year since then, they've wheeled Jeremy Bentham up to the board table and the chairman says, Jeremy Bentham present but not voting. That man can't vote because he's been dead for over 190 years. He can't raise his hand. He can't respond. He's physically dead. And as far as I know, there's no medical treatment for being physically dead. But here in Ephesians 2, what's the treatment plan for being spiritually dead? Those spiritually dead people, a bit like Bentham in the physical terms, spiritually dead people like you and I, we can't bring ourselves back to life again. We can't resuscitate ourselves, no matter how hard we try. And maybe you've been there in the past, or maybe there are some here that are there right now. You're trying really hard. You're doing all you can to deal with this mess in your heart. I've been there when I was younger, before I came to faith. You know, so many people in this world trying so hard, desperately hoping something's gonna work to deal with the brokenness and the pain and all of that. Self-help, self-improvement, good works, even church attendance, baptism, all of that sort of stuff. They are good things, of course, but none of those things can deal with sin. None of those things can give us life. We need help from the outside. And that's where, for me, this passage is stunning, is spectacular, is beautiful, is glorious, because here in verses 4 to 6, or 4 to 10 really, we see what God has done for us. And it's amazing. Look with me at these few verses. Verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Do you know, the diagnosis was really bad, isn't it? The prognosis was really bad. Left to ourselves, we're hopeless, we're helpless. I love these two words in those verses. But God. They're not two of the most amazing words you've ever heard in your life in context here. But God intervened. God took action. God did something that changes everything forever. You but God, out of his great, wonderful, immense love for us, but God, who is so rich in mercy, but God, with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he has made it possible for the likes of me and you to be made alive with Christ. God gives us what we don't serve. God gives us what we could never achieve, what we could never earn. We could spend a lifetime trying. We can't do it. And yet God gives it to us. Spiritual life, the gift of salvation, verse 9. And all of this flows out of his love, his great love for people like me and you. All of this, look, look at verse 7. All of this shows the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ 
Jesus. The treatment, or the remedy, or whatever word, there's, there's many better words than treatment. But this shows us what we really need. What we really need, what really matters, we can't find it out there in the world. We can search and search and search. We won't find the answer. We won't find the treatment. We won't find the remedy to our deadness, to our sin. And we can't find it inside ourselves. We can't somehow generate it. We can't change ourselves on the inside. We only find it in Jesus. It's the only place. It's the only one. So four weeks from now, there's a really important date. I'm sure is marked in your calendar. I'm sure you've got your reminder set in your phone. Four weeks from now, not ringing a bell of anyone. No? A lot of you are going to be in big trouble. No idea, do you? No? Thank you. Valentine's Day, very good. <laughs> Is that a reminder to somebody, maybe? Valentine's Day. And there's plenty of time, isn't there, to prepare, so that's a good, maybe I've helped you this year, potentially. What do people do on Valentine's Day? Or some people, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, what we do is that we express our care, our love for other people around us. And it might be the token card. <laughs> it might be some chocolates, even, or some flowers, or whatever. You know, Jill's dad even still sends her a Valentine's Day card every year. But what people do is that they show their love for each other. And it's really a good thing to do. It's good for us to do something about that, isn't it? To show people we care. And we shouldn't just do it on Valentine's Day or on birthdays or on Christmas. But in Ephesians 2 here, when Paul writes about God's great love for us, you and I need to somehow get our heads around love on an altogether different level. We're used to love in this world, aren't we? We're used to do like the sentimental sort of superficial love. Or even love with family and friends. And that's deeper and more important, of course, and more significant. But Ephesians 2 is telling us that God has expressed, has demonstrated, has done something about his love for sinful, rebellious, helpless, messed up people like us. Later on in chapter 3, Paul prays for these people at Ephesus. And he prays that they would have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So I wonder, have you ever just stopped to consider how much God loves you? Have you ever just stepped aside from the everyday routines the busyness, the chaos of life at times, the stress, the worry, the anxiety. Have you ever stopped to just think about how much God loves you? I think all of us need to do that more often. Do I wonder, have you ever been astounded, amazed, staggered at what God has done for you and I in Christ? You know, this God who is rich in mercy, as Paul puts it here, he didn't give us what we deserve. 
Instead, he gave us Jesus. He gave us one who came to be our rescuer and redeemer. He gave us one who loves us so much that he died on a cross in our place for our sins. He gave us one who came to win the victory over sin and Satan and death. He's alive, he's coming again. Jesus came to give us life, didn't he? He came to give us spiritual life. He came so that you and I, even though we were dead, we can be made alive. And to me, that is the the most staggering, spectacular good news the world has ever heard. That's why it's called the gospel. The diagnosis in Ephesians 2 tells us the truth about us. It's hard truth, isn't it? But here we also find the truth of what God has done for us in Christ, the gospel of grace. What is it that really matters, I wonder? When you think about your life, when you think about the world, when you think about your, your everyday, you out there in the world, what is it that really matters? Your life isn't like a board game, is it really? It's not like a game of Scrabble. And a board game, you can, you can debate the rules, can't you? You can stretch the rules, you can ignore the rules, and there aren't really any consequences. It doesn't really matter. In our lives, whoever we are, wherever we're from, whatever we've done or haven't done, what really matters more than anything else is that you and I know the truth about our hearts, that we know about our sin, but also that we know about God's great love for us, what he's done for us in Christ. But more than just knowing, like all of us can know this stuff. I remember as a wee boy going to Rich Hill Sunday School and we learnt the catechisms, we learnt the hymn. I had all this knowledge in my head, but I didn't do anything with it until I was 16. I knew it all, but it didn't make a difference to my heart, didn't make a difference to my life. We need to go beyond knowing about these things. God longs for us to respond in faith to what he's done. So I wonder... Have you experienced all of this for yourself in your life and your heart? Have you experienced God's great love for you? If you haven't and you're here today and you've got questions and you're wondering about all of this, you, why not come to Jesus right now? Why not come and experience that love for yourself, that gift of salvation, that joy, that peace, that hope that he has for you? Why not do that right now? If you have come to Jesus if you've experienced all of that, I really hope that today as we've looked at what maybe is a very familiar bit of the Bible, I really hope that you have been amazed, astounded, staggered once again at what God has done for you and how much Jesus loves you. And I really pray that you and I will be in that place of deep gratitude, so grateful, so thankful that even though we were dead, that God. Jesus died for us and made it possible for us to have spiritual life. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, by grace, you have been saved. Shall we take a wee moment to pray? Let's pray.